Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing, common-sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello, everyone. I'm Carlos Chapman, and I am your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee University's Law School. Today's episode is a part of our entrepreneurship series, and I will be highlighting Candace Walter of Walter Legal, a boutique law firm in Dallas, Texas. Candace and I attended UT Law together. Um, we were two of only 16 Black people in our class of 400. So we like survived the gauntlet together. Um, and she is also doing double duty right now as a professor at SMU Law. So I am very excited to introduce Candace to you and to get into the world of lawyers as entrepreneurs. So let's get into the discussion. Um, now, Candace, I gave a brief introduction of you and your company, but I'd love to hear how you introduce yourself and how you would give your elevator pitch. Okay, Carlos. So when I give my, and thank you so much for inviting me. So when I give my elevator pitch, a lot of people don't know what intellectual property is. So I have to do a little bit of education. So I tell them that I have a boutique firm. We specialize in intellectual property. We advise clients how to proactively protect their brands and their intellectual property, which is the patents, trademarks, copyrights. And we help them with the prosecution of that. And then we also help them if they think someone's infringing it, then we try to squash that before it gets out of control. And then our clients are across the United States. Half of my clients I've never met. So I have clients that are in medical services, you know, physical therapy, manufacturing, logistics, DEI. One of my more exciting clients, he makes adult products. So I was like, I'm so happy that I get to say these words. <laughs> it worked and make people feel uncomfortable. But I have other clients that make food products and healthy beauty products. And I'm helping all those people. Sometimes it's patents, sometimes it's trademark, which is a slogan, a logo, or just the name of the company or the product. So I help them with all those things, just protect it. And it's best to do it proactively before someone engages in foolishness. Then you're ready to handle it. You know, I didn't realize that you were doing clients all over the country and virtual. So that's very good to know. Um, I am always, people are always asking me for IP help. Um, and I don't think there are many people like you who have their own firm and who are doing it. Um, so it excites me that you can do it virtually, do, you know, work with clients from anywhere um, and that you're going to get a ton of referrals from me and possibly uh, from this that. episode. Yeah. yeah. And my office has been virtual since we opened in 2016. So I was already set up that way before the pandemic came and caused all that havoc. Awesome. So, you know, lawyers as entrepreneurs is not something that we think about. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that we learn in law school. No one told us how to run a law firm in law school. No one told us how to run a business in law school. You know, it was all black letter law and whatnot. So I'd love to hear about what you did before you started your own business um, that helped you to lay the foundation to being able to, to run a law firm? 
Okay. So before I started my own business, I had a variety of jobs. So I would probably change jobs every two to three years. And I was just seeking something that I wasn't finding. So I worked at the DA's office because I liked law and order. It's not like law and order. Okay. I worked at the city attorney's office because I was inspired by, by Obama, you know, President Obama to be a community organizer. So I did that for, you know, maybe three years, but that doesn't pay very well. And I worked at a medium sized firm. And then right before I started my office, I worked at IP boutique firm. So all these places right now, all those places, I learned things that helped me in my office today. So I don't regret going to those jobs. And I think that they helped me find my way to where I am right now. You know, you have a common pattern. I find a lot of entrepreneurs either have one job and quit or they move jobs every two or three years. And, you know, I also had the problem before I became a professor of like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I want. Um, and so, <laughs> right? Like, no, this ain't it. This ain't working. Um, and so I'd love to know what made you decide to take the leap to start your own firm when you had these experiences at other places that weren't so great? Yeah. So I, whenever I, right before I started my own firm, I was starting to question, do I even want to be an attorney? I've been at all these places. I cannot be, I cannot find happiness. And so then I just started my own firm because the place I was working, I was actually developing business, but my bonus was 100% discretionary. So it didn't matter that I kept bringing more and more clients in and my bonus was like one and a half percent. And I was like, why would I bring clients here, make myself have my own clients and do your work for your clients and then get like, you know, a couple thousand bucks. I was like, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so I talked to my friends. They're like, why do you work there? You can get your own clients. You already know what you're doing. I was like, I guess because I'm scared. It's fear. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? My boss is doing it. A bunch of other fools are out there doing it. I'm going to do it too. (laughs) And so that's what I did because I was like, this is, and I said, this is my last stop. So I'm going to have my own office. If this doesn't work out, I'm not even going to be an attorney anymore. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, So many of us have that. I'm not going to be an attorney anymore moment. And sometimes I feel like I'm not an attorney anymore (laughs) since I just, um, But, you know, the the law practice is such a grind. Um, And, you know, I think it's important to highlight for folks that the bonus structure and things you're talking about, you know, what it means when you when a lawyer charges you and you bill hours. So, you know, when when you hire a law firm and you pay X per hour, the attorney who's doing the work does not take home all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, They might not even take home a third of that. They may be taking home just 10 percent of that. And the rest of it goes to the partners and the law firms and the thing and the other people and other stuff. The money just yes. kind of disappears into the air. It does. It disappears into an abyss that is not connected to my account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now you have your own firm. So the money goes into your account. Yes. And that really changes. Yeah. It changes everything because when I was working for someone else, if I had to work at night and on the weekends, I was bitter and angry. Like why, why, why? And now sometimes I can't sleep because I'm like, I have to do this. I have to do this. I got to get this for this client. And I don't, I don't really, I feel a little stressed, but I don't have that bitterness because I'm doing it and I'm going to reap the awards, you know, the rewards from it. So it's a whole different mindset when you're the owner. 
and your sweat and tears benefit yourself instead of the person you work for has a new mansion and matching Mercedes SUVs with his wife and all this kind of stuff. And everyone in the office gets iPads. And I was so upset. I was like, those, that, those iPads, that's my bonus. <laughs> Give me those iPads. <laughs> now you mentioned the fear. Um, and I think as attorneys, um, you know, we're taught to question all the time. And we're taught to have self-doubt all the time. How did you develop the confidence to know that you could represent clients on your own and you didn't need the safety net of a law of another law firm or of partners? Well, part of it was that the office that I was working at, I had a lot of responsibility. So I kind of was kind of running the cases myself. It's just under someone else's shingle. So I had that confidence right there. And then also before I ever started my office, when I was feeling disgruntled, I met with probably a dozen other attorneys who started their office. Some of them thrived, some of them failed. And I just asked them like, what happened? What went wrong? What went right? What tips do you have? What do you think, you know, wish you knew? And so I made notes in this little notebook. And so whenever I would start thinking, I can't do it, I can't do it. I would look at that and remember what these people told me. And I was like, I can do it because these people are regular people. I'm a regular person. They did it. I'll figure it out. And then I have a huge network of people. So when I have a question, I have somebody to ask, like, please help me. This is the problem I'm having. And so most people are pretty happy to help other people because everybody remembers what it's like being unhappy, you know, working for somebody else. So like, I'm going to help you so you can thrive and, you know, have a happy life and a prosperous office. So, you know, there is a big knowledge gap for us as lawyers because we don't learn the business side. Um, And so I would love for you to talk about, you know, how you bridge those knowledge gaps and what kind of things, you know, did you have to learn or did you that you just did not know about when you started the law firm? Yeah, I think that people underestimate how much time you have to spend running the business. Like you mentioned before, you don't learn how to run a business in law school or whatever different grad school program you're in or undergrad. You have no idea how to run a business. So you don't know about quarterly taxes. You don't know about the trust account. You know, there's all these people trying to take your money from marketing. Is it going to have any return? So there's, there's a lot of trial and error. And so for me, what was really important was to talk to other people that had already traveled the path and to try and learn from their lessons. So I really did take a bit from all those different people that I talked to and then try it out with my office. It didn't work, you know, pivot to something else. So it was kind of experimental, I guess, trial and error. But now I'm doing okay. It was rocky in the beginning, but now everything's good. (laughs) Well, and let's talk a little bit more about the beginning. Um, You know, most businesses fail within the first year. um, And this includes law firms. You know, what was your make or break moment when you said all of this sacrifice is worth it, all of this risk taking is worth it, and I I can keep doing this and I can thrive and be successful? Well, I would say the make or break moment for me is I was so busy working, you know, nights, weekends, everything. I was like, I'm middle-aged now. I cannot sustain this. I'm so tired. But I was like, you know what? I actually have money now. I can hire people. And I've always heard people say, you can't make money if you know, unless you delegate and you have to have a team. And so before, when you first start your business, you don't want to do that because you're like, can I pay these people? I don't want to hire them. And then they're like, 
you know, I have to let you go. I can't pay. And so that really does make a difference when you, so now, like if I leave my office, there's someone to answer the phone, someone to send the engagement letters, you know, send the payment request to the client or look something up in their file and tell them the answer. So I can not be here and the office will keep running. The clients will get the care and attention they need. And so that I think is what makes a huge difference. If your office can run without you and you have to have systems. And so these are all things I've learned from other attorneys and also sometimes Facebook is the devil, but there are some wonderful Facebook groups of lawyers who have virtual offices. Some people work on the beach or whatever they're doing. Those, those, they have great resources to help you navigate all this. And you can say, this is the problem I'm having. And all these people will say, this is what we did when that happened to us. So it's like a little community. So you're on an, you're on an island by yourself, but you're not, you have people to help you. You know, how did you, like, at what point did you realize that now is the time to hire people? And if you could start over again, would you have hired them from the outset or would you still have waited to the point that you waited? I waited way too long to hire people. So my office has been open since 2016. I didn't start hiring people and really until I was forced to when I had a baby. And so I hired a business coach and I was drowning and I was like, I'm drowning, I'm drowning, I'm drowning. And I have this baby like on me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I hired a business coach and just me saying out loud all the things that I was doing. She was like, (laughs) you needed to hire somebody a long time ago. But just to give you an example, I, I was like, scheduling. I was, I wasn't answering the phone. I had an answering service, but I'm scheduling people on my calendar, these stupid back and forth emails. I'm, you know, sending them engagement letters, doing the consultation, all this backend stuff that any person could do. I was doing that. And then I still had to do the work on the case, you know, and so it's too much. And then I'm, you know, and then I'm still talking to people and marketing and giving presentations. I'm just one person. And so it was crazy. So just me trying to tell my business coach all the things that I was doing, she said, that's foolishness. You are past the point where you need to hire somebody. And it really did decrease my stress levels. And it also made me develop systems. So these, all this stuff is in my head. And so they can't do it if it's in my head. So I, I started making a play manual handbook about all the stuff I was doing. And so now I had a VA, you know, she worked out for a year and a half and she didn't. So let her go. So the new VA comes, the handbook is already ready. Read this. This is what you need to do. Hop to it. So that's wow. really helps. Wow. Wow. I have problems delegating. So I'm like absorbing. Yes, it is very hard to delegate and sometimes they mess up. And so when that happens, I have to look at myself and say, what did I tell them to do? Why is it not clear before? I don't, I don't, that's something I learned from other people I've worked with. I'd like to take responsibility if I'm the one who messed it up. I'm not always blaming other people. What did I do to cause this situation and how can I fix it? So obviously, not obviously, but sometimes something I said was unclear. And that happens to me with my sister because I tell her to do stuff and then she does. I'm like, that is not what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) And she's your sister. Yeah, she's my sister. So yes, we've been working together for, I don't know, I feel like six months. I have no idea, but she's helping me a lot. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, there are lots of law students listening to this. Um, There are lots of people who may want to go to law school and are planning to go to law school because they think they eventually want to start a law firm. Are there things that you think they could do in law school or that they could be doing now to prepare them for being entrepreneurs? 
Okay. So in law school, I, I think besides the classes, the most important thing that happened to me in law school, besides getting the knowledge, was the network. So when you're in law school, even though you feel so busy and stressed out, you have to take advantage of all the resources that are there. So when I was in law school, I didn't do a clinic. That would have helped me with my, you know, client engagement and, you know, just real world, you know, projects. I didn't do mock trial or moot court. So do like the clinic, the mock trial, do a journal. You know, if you have questions in the class, go talk to your professor when your section has the happy hours and all these little parties, go to that and meet those people and bond with them. So since I've left law school, some of the people that I talked to when I was starting my firm, those are people I met at UT. They continue to help me right now. And then I get referrals from so many people that I know at UT. And that's also a great thing about social media is connecting with people that you physically would not have seen for 15 or 20 years. So I'm getting referrals from all kinds of people that I've met you know, through my time at UT, all the different little things I was doing, all the places I ever worked. So I think part of the law school journey is networking, not just the education part, but networking with those people. And then like with LinkedIn, I have never found a job on LinkedIn, but other people have. And so whenever I'm talking to law students and they tell me where they want to work, what they're trying to do, I tell them, go on LinkedIn and find somebody that went to the same school as you and reach out to them and find out if they have time to talk to you, give you some advice. So networking, that's the point of everything I'm saying is networking is so important and having a network of people to rely on and be the resource for you. You know, I think that is one of our biggest failures in law school and business school gets this right. Um, I am frequently telling my students, like, it's awesome that y'all are so serious. It is awesome that you have written this paper and that you have this A and that you're going to do a federal clerkship and all these amazing, amazing, these things are amazing. Um, But I truly, truly believe the biggest thing I got out of the University of Texas was the number of people, the sheer number of people we could meet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the fact that there were 1,200 students in our law school. Yes. Um, and that's 1,200 possible people who you could network with or who, you know, if you connect with them on LinkedIn, um, or even if you didn't meet them, it's like they see UT Law. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see, hey, Longhorn. <laughs> right, right. Put on your burnt orange uh-huh. and make it work. Yes, that's so important. And another thing that I tell my own students and other people in law school is that you have some, most of them have a job already, but what, what do you have outside of that job? What are you going to do if you go there and you hate those people, you hate that work? What are you going to do? How are you going to find your next opportunity? That's why your network is important. You know, you don't know what's going to happen with this, you know, the eggs you have in your basket right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm mm-hmm. telling them, you have to network with these people. And so I have speakers come into my class. One lady was telling us she got laid off. She told the people in her class, one of them said, my husband's company needs an attorney, send your resume. And that's how she started on her in-house journey. So those kind of things don't happen if you don't know your classmates. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yes. And then for entrepreneurs like me, for instance, I have my own business. If I don't, if I never, you know, connect with all these people and then say, I have my own business, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. They won't send me referrals. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how your firm is structured. I noticed you're a PLLC. Yes. Um, and um, are you the only attorney working or do you also have uh, attorneys you're supervising? So I am the owner, the main attorney. I have contract attorneys. So I'm in a transitional phase right now where I have enough work to give to the contract attorneys, but I do not have enough work for them to work here as an employee. (laughs) So they're contract attorneys. So they're doing their own thing. And then when I have extra work, I call them in and they do that work. 
So eventually I hope to, you know, fold them in. So how do you hire your contract attorneys? Well, this is back again to my network. So one of them is my friend from high school and she went to law school and we reconnected once we were back in Dallas. And then another one is my friend from law school also. So, and then my other contract attorney, she went back into a firm, but last year she was helping me. She's someone that I actually did not know her in law school because she was 10 years after me, but the law school connected me to her because she had her own firm and she was in Dallas. And so they were like, since you have your firm and you, you know, figured it out, can you please mentor her? So I did. And I hired her as my contract attorney. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's why I'm like the networking is we have, yeah, we have a great network from UT. Awesome. No, I, I had no idea that the school would do that. Uh, they like, did. Yeah, they haven't there. called me in a long time, so I think I fell off the list, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, I think, you know, the reason I asked how is, you know, I have so many law students who want to do intellectual property work, but have a hard time getting the kind of work they want at a big law firm. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of work that they want is what you're doing. They want to represent small businesses. They want to, they don't want to go to the USPTO. They want to you know, help small businesses do mom and pop stuff. Like they want to feel what they're doing. They don't want mm-hmm. a factory yes. farm through intellectual property work. Um, and so it's good to know that you can simply network and make your living being a contract attorney, even if you don't yes. want to hang a shingle. You can. I think that's a great way to learn and then to get a taste of it before you jump all the way in. Yeah. Awesome. Now we have talked about you also teaching part-time at SMU. And you also are a parent of a young child, right? So let's start with teaching at SMU while running your own law firm. How on earth do you balance a law firm with the responsibility of also teaching a class? Well, it's my village that helps me. So when I first started teaching, my mom was my grandma nanny. And so she would be here with my child. So it wasn't a big deal for me to go down there and do what I had to do. I didn't have any worries. And now she's, you know, she's not doing the, my child's in daycare, but basically I have to be super duper organized. So my class is on Tuesdays. We have class. I have meetings with all my students after that. I'm reviewing the documents they prepare, the emails and all that. So I kind of dedicate Tuesday to that. And then I give them an hour, about an hour a day throughout the week. And whatever I don't get has, you know, has to, um, get covered on the weekend. But I also do have another attorney that's working in the clinic with me. So I just, basically, I have to be very, very organized and uh, delegate. So again, the delegate, like if I were running my office and there were no virtual assistant or paralegal or my sister, who's the office manager, marketing manager, weren't here, I can't, I couldn't do it. So the, these team of people, they help me. So you have to delegate if you want to grow because you just have two hands. And we were talking before we came on here is that we're getting older. You don't have, you can't stay up all night. (laughs) You have to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So, and like for me, I only have from nine to five. That is when my daughter is at daycare. So anything that doesn't happen from nine to five will have to get done tomorrow. So I have no time to waste. And it really tickles me about how much time I used to waste before I was this busy with my office and before I had a child, you know? Like I would watch, this is kind of embarrassing, but I would watch, let's make a deal. (laughs) And the price is right before I did any work. (laughs) And so now that's how I gauge how busy I am. I'm like, I haven't seen my game shows in like three months. (laughs) I don't have time. I have work to do. (laughs) You know, it is 
wasting time. You know, we were having a pre-show conversation about how foolish we were in our twenties. Um, and I think that in my mind, when I was in my twenties, I was working as much as I do now, or as intensely as I do now, when the truth is I was just wasting a lot of time. I didn't have systems in place. Um, I, I, I wasn't watching prices, right. But I was like taking two and three hour lunches randomly. Um, we used to have all these like crazy parties and it's like, yes, it was fun. But in my mind, I was like, oh my God, I'm not getting my work done. And it was my lack of efficiency Mm -hmm. in the workplace. Like I just wasted a lot of time in the office. Yes, I was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like when I was working in an office with other people, I wasn't watching the prices right, but we were talking in the hallway or like you said, going to lunch for two and a half hours, you know, or chit chatting with somebody in the kitchen while we're drinking our coffee in the morning. I was just wasting time all the time. And now I, I really have no time to waste. So I really am working from nine to five. I am working. And it tickles me because sometimes some of my clients, they think they can just call me without being on the calendar. I'm like, hey, my life doesn't work that way. If you're not on this calendar, I can't talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I have to get these things done before five o'clock. Awesome. And so you you talked about child care and your mom being a nanny. Um or your your grandma nanny. Are things better, you think, as a parent having your own law firm? Yes, I think so. Because now that my, I think it's just so, I mean, I think because of the pandemic and so many people are working from home, if you are working from home, then you have some of the same benefits that, you know, someone has when they own their office because you don't have to waste time getting dressed and going, you know, driving to your office and the traffic and all that stuff. But for me, because I own my own office, I set my hours, I decide what cases I'm taking, you know, I can, like when I was at a firm, I had no control over those things. And I could, my boss basically is just telling me what I'm going to do. And so now I'm the one deciding those things. So if the daycare calls me and says, you know, your child is sick, okay, I can just run out and go take, you know, and not work the rest of the day and tell the people, hey, I'm out, my kid is sick. And the doctor says, can you come here at three o'clock? Sure, we'll be there at three o'clock. I don't have to, uh, you know, work, do all these things with all these other people because I don't own the office. And so I think it's great. And so when she has a little dance recital and when she plays soccer, whatever it is that she does, I can do there. So I can be there. So I can do my work before and after it or on the weekend. I have that control. And so I think that's really great. And I remember when I was at the DA's office, some of the defense attorneys would take off the month of December. And I was like, that is amazing. So you say you don't work in the whole month of December. So I've never had any job where I had a month off. So I'm not at the point yet where I'm taking off the month of December, but that's what I hope to do. So my goal is to not work in maybe the whole month, maybe three weeks of December and take off a month in the summer. That's what I'm working towards. So that's why I'm hustling right now so that we can make the money we need to make in the 10 months and then have those two months off. That's what my goal is. I'm speaking that into existence. (laughs) I want that for you. I want that for me. Yeah, (laughs) that's what I need. I need like two months off a year, okay? (laughs) That is like, that would be glorious. Cause I mean, I think we all say we have time off, but like, are you really off? And it's, it's to get the true, like nothing's on the docket, no meetings on the calendar. Yes. Clean calendar for two months a year. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. So I don't know when that's going to happen, but that is what I'm claiming for my future. No, I, I'm, I'm going to claim it for you in like two or three years. That's like, what I'm I think hoping. it's going to happen soon. That's what I want to do. Now, I would love to take some time because you are an intellectual property attorney. Yes. And 
Um, everyone is always asking IP questions and there is so much bad IP advice on the Twitters and the TikToks and the Instagrams. <laughs> um, and so I would love for you just as an IP attorney who represents businesses every day um, to kind of run through like, what are the biggest mistakes you see people making about their IP? Um, and like, you know, what, what suggestions and tips you have for people on intellectual property? Okay. So uh, one huge mistake that people make is that sometimes people think that the universe or God or whoever wants them to have this name and they get obsessed with it and they think they have to have it. And so once you engage with an attorney, they're going to do a search and they're going to tell you someone else already has this very same name or you changing the I to a Y or whatever you did, it still sounds the same. You're going to be rejected. We need to pivot and move away from this name. And so that's what people need to think about is who is using the name? What are they doing with it? Have they protected it? And then how much money am I going to spend if I have to fight with these people and I'm going to lose? So the other thing you could do is pick a new name that no one, some you know, other people aren't already using, and then you won't have all that drama. And I actually had a client, and also you need to talk to the attorney in the beginning. So I've had a client who picked a name, invested $30,000, wrapping up, you know, his van, the door knockers, all this stuff. And then he gets a letter from somebody like, mm -mm, you can't use that name. And so he hired me and I told him, you really cannot use this name. These people have had this for 30 years. You know, you have, you're not going to win. So you can, you've already lost the 30 over there. We can spend 10 to fight with them and then you're going to lose and have to change the name anyway. So if he would have talked to me on the front side, I would have told him, don't do that. Just, you know, pivot and pick another name. And so that's what people need to do is talk to your attorney on the front side to find out what is my intellectual property? And, you know, am I going to be able to use this name and then grow with it? Or do I need to change my name? And then also make sure that you have uh, the ownership lined up. Like with the logo, if someone else drew it, have they assigned the rights to you, to your company? And that's very important before you apply for a trademark. Do you even own that thing? And so people assume that they own things because, you know, you paid someone to make it for you. That doesn't mean you own it. They need to assign it to you in writing, like assign you the right title and interest to it. So that's something else that happens to people. And sometimes the names they have are just descriptive. And so I'm like, hey, this is probably going to get rejected. They don't care. They want to do it anyway. So basically the advice is talk to an attorney, listen to their advice. But another suggestion I have is talk to multiple attorneys, you know, and find out who do you vibe with, okay? So if you and your attorney have uh, personalities that don't mesh, you don't have to use that person. You can use someone else. And so me, for instance, I do not coddle people. So if you want to be coddled, I'm not going to coddle you. You probably need to find someone else. I'm just kind of straightforward. I'm just going to tell you like it is. And so you need to find someone that you can mesh with, you know, and also that's responsive because I have other clients that tell me I had an attorney. They won't ever call me back. They won't respond to my emails. Okay. So you, you need to be uh, comfortable with their communication policies, their office policies, you know, the people in there, you know, the staff, all those things, because when you're paying somebody money, you need to be happy with the service. So hopefully that answers your question, but I, yes. I know. So I'm saying consult with the attorney, listen to the attorney and make sure you're a good fit with your attorney. I'd love to go back to the name thing because, yes. um, you know, I, we have an entrepreneurship program at, at WNL um, and so many of them think that if they go on GoDaddy or whatever, and they can register the website, that means they can have the name. Oh so my when, gosh. When, when, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So when you and I are talking about names, 
and making sure you can use the name, like what can they do as lay people to check? Okay. Or, so, or to just to look it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that happens in, in my office too. So if you have like, you can get the name for the entity or you can have the domain. That does not mean that you have rights to the trademark. So you can go on the USPTO website and they have a search function, T-E-S-S, trademark electronic search system. And that's where you can do a search with those names. But the problem is when you're a lay person, if you just type like the literal words, that may not come up with a match. That's probably not going to return if somebody has changed one of the letters. So it's not just, are these words an exact match? It's how does it look and how does it sound? You know, so mm-hmm. people could have changed up the letter. So you kind of have to search by the root words. And then there's more advanced searches where you can search the root of the word and then add a class to it. So there's 45 different classes. And so just as an example with Apple, let's say that I had a daycare, I want to call it Apple daycare. It's going to be hard for Apple, you know, the phone tech giant to stop me because I don't, I'm just assuming they don't have a daycare. Just we're pretending they don't have a daycare. They can't stop me. But if I, if my product has anything to do with phone, music, any of that stuff they do, I cannot call it Apple. And so that's what people don't understand. They think they have a trademark and that they get to box everybody out for everything. You don't. And then like what you're saying, they think if they have the domain name or they name their LLC with this name, they have trademark rights. That is not going to help you if someone else already had the trademark, however much, however uh, long they had it before you. That's not going to help you. So you do need to, you can do some searching on the USPTO website yourself, but you really need to engage with an attorney. And if you can't afford an attorney, then you have to find some low bono resources or pro bono. And that's where the law clinics come in. So the law clinics, they have law students that will do this for you, and they're supervised by experienced attorneys. So I would say try to look it up yourself. If you don't have money to engage an attorney, go for you know a law, a law clinic. And then like with patents, the USPTO does have a patent pro bono program. So there are resources for people that don't have the funds to do this, but uh, you definitely have to do it because it can cost you more money if you don't handle it on the front side. You know... I appreciate this advice and and what and, and the fact that the USPTO website isn't searchable the way that you think. Because um, I've had so many people come to me and say, you know, I put in my exact same name and nothing came up. And it's like, no, that's, that's and I don't do intellectual property. I just know enough to know that I don't know what I'm doing. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, it is hard. It's not easy for regular people to navigate it. So they have a basic search, but they have an advanced search where you can, you know, do like the, you know, the base of the word and add the class and all these different things. And I would like to say one more thing about what I just said about, I don't know, I don't know enough, but I know to call Candace. Um, I think that's my number one um, complaint about lawyers that have their own firms um, or about when you're trying to retain a lawyer. I am always wary of a lawyer who says they know everything. Um, nobody knows everything. I say, I don't know more now, you know, I don't want to say how many years we've been out of law school, but it's, you know, this many years out of law school, I say, I don't know more now than I definitely did in the first five years. Cause Mm -hmm. I've become acutely aware of how little of the law I actually know. Yes. Um, and that's true. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I have my contract attorneys. Cause I'm like, I have a surface level knowledge of this, but this is something my client needs, but this person has, you know, the 10, 20 years experience. So let's bring them in. 
right. to work on this with us. Right. But be, definitely be careful of that lawyer who's like, yes, I can do your bankruptcy and your trademark and I can form your LLC and I can litigate, litigate your contract dispute. Like maybe they can if it's like minor enough, but if it's something complicated, they probably can't. I would never no. touch a trademark or an intellectual property matter. I would no. never touch it. Yeah. And that now that you're saying that a lot of uh, clients that IP attorneys get, they either tried to do it themselves and they messed it up or they had a friend who's an attorney who said, oh, I can do that for you. And they messed it up. So just keep that in mind. You might think you're saving money because you're not paying the attorney, but you're going to have to pay the attorney to fix it in the long run. Now, the or other kind of can fix it <laughs> if they can if it can be fixed. Yeah. Right. Now, the other intellectual property question that I have um, is what's the difference between when you need, when you, when copyright just works or you need trademark? Okay. So one thing now that you've mentioned copyright is that everyone loves to talk about their poor man's copyright where they send something to themselves and now they have a copyright. No, you do not. What you've done is mailed something to yourself. And so copyright, you have those rights when it's an original work of authorship and it's fixed. And that's how you have those rights. It doesn't matter if you mailed it to yourself. That maybe will prove the day you created it, but that doesn't matter because if someone else has their own original creation and it's the same as yours and they can prove they didn't copy you, they're entitled to a copyright too. So that's really not helping you. So I do talk to, and that's why I just tell people, if someone says patent, trademark, copyright, just tell them to call me because people get confused about these things. So copyright, let's say that you have a painting, you have some code for a video game, you you know wrote a play, you're a choreographer, somebody's playing the music, all those different things are works of uh, art for a copyright. And that's just protecting that work. And it does not matter if you have a business or you engage in interstate commerce. And that's what the trademark is. The trademark is the name of your business, your products, your slogan, your logo, but it has to be connected to the service or the goods you provide in interstate commerce. And so the copyright has nothing to do with commerce. You can have a copyright on something and you don't ever sell it or do anything. But with the trademark, you have to use it in commerce or you can't get a copyright or a trademark for it. And so that's kind of the difference. These are protecting different pieces of the intellectual property. I have a um, I have a client or one of our one of our clients in the program who registered a trademark and then got this letter in the mail from the USPTO that said, if you don't prove to us that you're using it in commerce, it lapses. So they did it themselves, spent all the money, spent all the time, got it approved, got the letter that they needed to prove they were using it in commerce. They didn't respond to it. And it was like, you lost your trademark. Yes. You have to start over. Yes. Yes. So what, so, so I asked that I bring that up to say, you know, at what point should someone apply for a trademark? Should you apply for the trademark as soon as you get the idea to start the business or should you wait until like you've got some proof of concept that it's actually going to be a business? I think it really depends about your money, but the best thing is to apply when you have this idea and you're positive that that that's the name you're going to use. But if you're a huge business with 
you know, a lot of resources, those people will apply for like 20, 30, 40, 50 names that they might use. But if you are a regular person, you can't do that because the filing fee is 250 for each of those plus your attorney's fees. So you have to be pretty sure you're going to move forward with this. And so with the federal trademark applications, you can apply saying that I'm using it now or I plan to use it in the future. And from your example, it sounds like that person did a 1B application, which is intent to use. And then once it gets approved, you have to prove use within six months. If you don't do that, you have to file an extension to get six more months until you start using it. So if you don't respond or you don't file the extension, then it's going to, you're going to lose it. So that sounds like that person did a 1B application. And that's what happens to a lot of people when they do it themselves. Did they mean to do 1B or are they actually using it in commerce now? And they should have sent the specimen of use and the first use dates, which means when did you first use it in interstate commerce with their original application? And that's why you should talk to an attorney. They can help you navigate that. And so I don't know how much money the person saves by doing it themselves, but now the money is lost because they lost it anyway. So to answer your question, whenever you have this idea and you're pretty sure you're going to move forward, that's when you should protect it with the trademark. That also is going to put other people on notice. When they those people do a search in the USPTO database, they'll say, oh, look, these people are planning to do this and that. It might scare them off if they don't have an attorney. <laughs> now, we keep saying interstate commerce, and that means a lot to us as lawyers, <laughs> but it meant nothing to me before I went to law school. So I assume it means nothing to other people. Um, Like what counts as interstate commerce for purposes of trademarks? Okay. There's a lot of things that count as interstate commerce. So the simplest thing is that let's say that your your services, educational services, you have a YouTube channel, you're in your home studio and wherever you're putting this content out. And then your people who are receiving it are spread across the United States because they're watching your YouTube channel. That's interstate commerce because you're putting the service out and then people outside of your state or consuming it. But sometimes, let's say you're making products, you might be ordering different pieces of these products from out of state. They come to you, you assemble it, and then you send it to whoever orders it. Or you might have a website and people come and place the order and then it gets shipped to them. Whatever you're doing, there has to be some interstate commerce, which is between states. So if your business is totally local, you know, like you have no internet presence, you, you know, maybe like just this is very silly, but let's say that I'm pulling leaves off my tree and like putting some paint on them and selling them to people. The paint came from, you know, around here, you know, the leaf is from my yard. I'm, I'm pretty local. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not gonna be able to get a federal trademark for that. So the interstate commerce is between states. Somehow you have to be uh, involved in that. And so it counts if your inputs are from out of state though, right? So like, let's say you have a, let's say you have a food truck that's just parked in downtown Dallas at lunchtime. That can count as interstate commerce if you're ordering your stuff from Cisco for your food yes. truck. Yes, so those uh, foodstuffs are coming on the Cisco truck from wherever. But even if they weren't, let's say that you have that food truck in Dallas. You have, if you can prove that people from out of town are coming there to get your food, to eat it, and then going back wherever they came from, that's interstate commerce too. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I interact with a lot of people who are like, oh, I just have a restaurant. I, I don't need a trademark. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that I tell people when they think they don't need a trademark, I ask them if someone else uses this name and gets involved in a scandal, 
what's the blowback going to be for you? You know, and that's why the trademark matters is to protect your brand from these outside people. And then also, so your customers come, you know, they know this is the quality I get with that. And so one of my clients has a business and some, this is someone else in another state has a very similar name as my client. And those people take people's money and don't send the products. So people go on the internet and write bad reviews. And so he has to keep saying that is not us. We are in, you know, Dallas. Those people that you're mad at are in Florida. <laughs> okay. Wow. That is not us. <laughs> and wow. so that's what can happen when you don't have a trademark. If you don't, and the federal trademark, you get to enforce that across the United States. So you get, that's why you have to engage in the interstate commerce to be entitled to it. But you can tell people across the United States, hey, stop, stop, stop. This, you know, I've claimed this name. And then also I told you there's 45 classes. You've claimed it in whatever classes you claimed. So you can't tell people not to use the name if what their if their products aren't related to yours. That that's a whole nother thing. It's people that have similar products or in the same okay. uh, trade channels. All right. So let's get back to your business because I should give you yes. opportunities to shamelessly plug yourself. Um, how can me and my listeners support you and your business? Like, what do you need from us? How can we help Candace Legal grow? How can we make sure that Candace gets to take off a month during the summer and a month in December? <laughs> so the best way to support my business is through referrals. So whenever you hear anyone say those keywords, patent, trademark, copyright, oh my gosh, I know somebody in Dallas, she can help you. And so those things, referrals, and then following the social media, sharing the posts, those kind of things, helping with the engagement. But referrals are the number one thing. And so my business, all of my, I'm not going to say all my clients, let's say 95% of my clients, they're referrals. So they're referrals from other attorneys, friends, family, satisfied clients, almost that's how, that's how my business thrives is from referrals and giving people good service. And then they come back and they send their friends. So that's, so now that you guys have been on this podcast with us, we're friends now. So you just go ahead and send me referrals. (laughs) (laughs) And what is your website? What's your website? My website is walterlegal.com. And so my sister marketing manager, she, I hope that it can uh, drop in the next week or so, but I have a very new updated website because she told me it was dated. So this website right now is not my new website. So just beware. So that is my, I have a new website coming. So look at it now and then look at it in like a month. <laughs> I hope <laughs> and, a week. She should be listening to this. And so I hope she feels pressured. To, it's really me. <laughs> I'm the reason that it's not up. <laughs> and this goes back to your management style and your ability to delegate. Yes. Um, and to acknowledge when you are wrong, which yes. I don't, I don't have that yet. I gotta, I, I gotta have pray to on do that it. one. Because I need these people to help me. So I remember how it feels to work for somebody that never accepts responsibility. And so that's why I'll fall on the sword if I have to. So these people can know that she respects me. She appreciates me. She's not blaming me for stuff that's her fault. And also I have to remove, if I'm the, uh, if I'm the reason that things aren't happening, I have to recognize that and take care of it. Wow. I am not that involved yet. Like I really am not, and I, I need to get on your level. Um, I am, I am feeling red by by how you are living your life, because uh, I'm bad at delegating, and then I'm bad at like admitting when I'm the one who's the reason it doesn't go well. Yeah, uh, and so clearly those two things are why I cannot delegate well, um, and I need to work on it. No, now, this I think you're doing fantastic, though. Well, thank you, thank you. It's sometimes it's in shambles and it's smoke and mirrors, but it uh, it looks good in the end. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, wow, she's amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, not so much. Yes. Now, this next question is hard. It's more of a philosophical question. What's your why? Why do you do what you do? What motivates you to do intellectual property? What motivates you to, to keep practicing law? What is your why? Well, my why, why am I doing intellectual property? It's one, because people don't know what they don't know. And so people don't even know what it is. They're not protecting it. They're getting taken advantage of. And so I just want to empower people to recognize that you actually have something of value and you need to protect it before someone else, you know, ruins what you're trying to do. So that's the intellectual property side. And then like, as far as my office, the clinic, why am I doing that? I just love to help people. And I just, that's the whole reason I went to law school is I want to help people. I want to make the world a better place. I want to help other people thrive and be happy. I wish everyone could have a happy, safe life. And so the why is quality of life. That's the reason why I'm still an attorney. The reason why I'm running my office. I want to spend my time with friends, family, have experiences, all that stuff. And I think that entrepreneurship allows you to do that because you have more control over your time, your schedule, your work. And so you might you might end up working more than 40 hours, but I feel fulfilled. And so I don't have uh, bitterness like I had when I was working for someone else. You know, like, how dare you call me after seven o'clock? <laughs> you know, and so it's just it just has improved my mindset. And I, I mean, I'm a happy person anyway. And I'm talking to my therapist about this now, because even if I'm not happy, I'm like, I am so mad at you. <laughs> I'm one of those people. So besides that, I really do internally feel happier and I feel less stressed out. And I feel like my mind is a little bit clearer and I can make contributions to the world, whatever that is. And so I think all that comes from having some satisfaction from owning my business, touching people's lives, helping them with their business, helping them thrive. You know, it's funny that you say you're always happy no matter what, because like the one thing I remember about you from law school is Candace is always happy. Like <laughs> Candace was always the bright spot. Um, so the idea that like you could ever possibly be bitter is almost strange to me because I'm like, what do you mean? Candace is the yes. happy one. Yeah, I know. I do appear to always be happy, but I actually sometimes am not happy. <laughs> well, because you're a person. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah. that's what my therapist was saying. She's like, you're saying all these things, but you're still smiling. I was like, I know. I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> Something I do. But I do really feel a lot less stressed out than I did in the beginning of my career. Awesome. Yeah, that is that is so, so important. Now, let's look forward. What's next? You've got you've got the law firm. You've got the class. You've got the baby. What is next for Candace? Well, right now I'm in a growth phase. So whenever I feel tired, I think I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do this for, I don't know, two or three years to reach my goal so I can have the systems and the people in place so that, you know, I can improve my quality of life, take off my two months for my, you know, European or Caribbean vacation or whatever it is that I'm doing. So that's what I'm doing. I'm in a hustle phase. I'm in a hustle, growing, delegating, developing systems phase right now, building out the team so that I can uh, kind of step back a little bit in the future. And then as far as, um, I think, yeah. So one thing that also, because of all the crazy things going on in the world, I feel like I have like these talents and skills and I am helping people, but can I be helping more people if I had a bigger platform? So I did think about running for office uh, last year, but then I decided not to because I decided my office was not in a place to run without me and also had a little baby. 
So in the next few years, I'm going to decide if I really am going to run for something and try to change the world, change my corner of the world. So that's what I think is in the future. A few years from now, I'm going to run for something. And if I don't run for something, then I'm going to support a candidate who matches my beliefs. Hmm. Well, what office would you run for? Well, Carlos, there's so many things. (laughs) That's why I haven't decided. (laughs) So I've thought about running for city council, for mayor, for commissioner, just all kinds of things. So that's why I want to see where can I, where would my knowledge and skills help the most people? Yeah. Now, having someone like you run for office would be amazing. Um, (laughs) Well, because like you actually know what you're doing and you're so positive. Um, and like, to me, you're always fair. You know, I can't think of a time when like you were unfair to people. So like, it would be great if more people like you would run for office, but it's like, how do you afford it? And how do you? Exactly. That's what I said. When some of the things I've looked up and I've seen all the meetings and all that, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not independently wealthy. (laughs) So I actually cannot afford to do that. So that's kind of why I decided this is a building phase right now. And if I can get to a space where the office can run without me and I can, you know, touch it two days a week and keep, you know, do whatever I think I could do it then. Yeah. Would you ever consider merging with another law firm? No, (laughs) I don't know. It really will have to be a very special person. I really don't like to share my money, even though I'm delegating. I don't know about sharing the decision making power because I've seen a lot of people partner up and then blow up and it's they have to have their business divorce and they're bitter. I better not see him on the street. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So I don't know. So, yeah. So, no, probably not. Right now, I'm not thinking that, but it depends. So maybe like one day when I'm off running my political career, I might decide to partner up with somebody. Yeah. No, I'm just curious because, I mean, I I find a lot of my friends who are independent, um, especially independent lawyers, they either bring on someone junior as an associate and make them a partner, Uh but it's so rare for them to decide to just like, oh, I'm going to merge with that IP boutique and then we'll both just be... Yeah, no, I would share expenses or share an office, but I would not merge. And so something I found out when I was talking to all those people and some of the firms thrived and failed and all that stuff, everyone is not carrying their own weight, you know? And so we would have to have some serious discussions about how we're splitting profits here, because if you are, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, I I don't think you should get some money this month. (laughs) I feel you. I don't like to share either. And it's Mm. hard being the oldest because I I often say like, no one asks me if I wanted to share. <laughs> yes, I don't want to share. I don't want to. And I think, I mean, it just, right now I'm doing fine by myself. So I don't, I, there's not a benefit to me. Of, it seems like more headaches. And also I choose not to do litigation. So if I were doing litigation cases, I would need to have more people helping me. And, you know, that, that would be a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So my last question to close out, what advice do you have for other entrepreneurs? So one, the main thing I want you to think about is don't uh, become paralyzed by fear, you know? So if you do have, if you are fearful of starting your business, what is the source of your fear and what information can you get to quash that fear? So for attorneys, like I guess new attorneys, law students, if you're thinking about going off on your own, I always tell these people, 
the best thing to me is for you to work somewhere else, practice on their cases, get a you know steady paycheck, and then go off on your own. Because I know the stress that I felt in 2016 of trying to run an office, but I don't know what I'm doing. But at least I did know how to do the trademark, copyright, patents, review the contracts. I knew my legal skill. And then I had the stress of running my office. So the stress of not knowing what you're doing with your work plus trying to run an office and maybe managing people, I think it's too much. So I think you should gain the skill and then go off and uh, be a, you know, your own person or your own office. And I think that translates, even if your business is a flower shop or a restaurant or whatever it is you want to do, find out how this business works before you just jump into it and your livelihood and your mortgage and your student loans and all those things are at stake. So yeah, just prepare yourself, arm yourself with the knowledge, talk to people that have already done it, talk to people that were successful, people that failed and, you know, just absorb all that knowledge, you know, because there, and then because of the internet and the Google and the YouTube and all that, there's so many resources out there. So you don't have to go into it blind. So educate yourself and don't be paralyzed by fear. And the worst thing that can happen is you fail. So what? Pick yourself up, do something else. And I always tell people that if you have to go work at Starbucks or Target, they have good, they have good benefits. You know, a lot of people do that. They might have a, you know, a regular day job, you know, until their business starts to thrive. That's okay. If your business fails, you have to work a regular job for six months and then try something else, you know? Don't yeah. be afraid to fall on your face. Right. I always say, don't be afraid to go fold pants at the gap. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, like you might have to go be a barista, fold some pants at the gap, dust yourself off and do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I truly appreciate the advice for law students in particular, because I think it's generational. I think we are more, we were more afraid than current students are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always like, you need five years of knowledge. I really think it's, I, for me, I think, think the magic spots five years of yes, practice. Yes. Um, cause I was, a t- I didn't realize how much of an idiot I was when I graduated until I was about five years out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think five years is a good number, but some of them, they can't wait five years. So I'm saying if you can't do five years, then do just two to three years, just yes. please don't do it when you first graduate. Yes. You, it, to me, it's like, you're just waiting to get sued for malpractice. <laughs> yes. There is a thing called malpractice. Uh huh. Yes. <laughs> yes. And get malpractice insurance. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Candace. And thank you all for tuning in to Get in Common. If you ever miss an episode, you can catch the rebroadcast anywhere podcasts are streamed on Voice America's website and on our YouTube channel. You can send me messages through the show page, and I am at Carla C on all social media. And you can find Candace at Candace Legal dot com with a new website launching in a week if we have properly tortured her sister into doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.